pray with me. Heavenly Father, would you convince us of that reality this morning? Would you forgive us for so often pushing you outside of the fact that we need you? And would you reveal to our hearts the, weighty with, the weightiness with which we desperately need you? And this morning, would you lead us a little bit further on the path of trusting your sovereign hand of Christian maturity in us? God, would you do a work here? God, I also pray for Rick as he's preaching at Trinity Church this morning. You would move in power through him and in that place. God, we need you. Meet with us in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you want to go to Colossians chapter 1. If any of you have uh, taken part in the community garden, um, maybe you have a plot that you've planted in, um, or, or maybe you have a garden at home, um, I would venture to guess that when you planted something in the ground and it grew up, it was never your intention for you to, to come back to that crop and see it dead and be excited that it's dead, right? I mean, you spend all this time and energy to sow seed in the ground and water and, and seek to bring about growth, and then one day it's dead and you're like, yes! Mission accomplished. No, like that's ridiculous, right? But what's, what's striking this morning, and I think what Paul would say is striking this morning is, wow, in that scene, like we would say that's ridiculous, in the spiritual reality of, of Christian growth, it's just not that big of a deal to us. Do you follow me? That where there's stagnancy or a, a lack of maturity in our lives, which is not a big deal to us. Like, we're just kind of okay with that. And the Lord, through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, wants to just rip us apart in this reality. So, Let's, uh, let's dive in to our text, 24 through 29. Um, actually, before we get to, get to that, let me remind you what's happened in the previous verses. In 15 through 20, what Paul has done is he set out to establish, um, and it's not on Paul's establishment that Christ is supreme, right? But he's reminding the church at Colossae that Christ is supreme, that Christ reigns. Um, he, he's reminding them, he's, he's establishing that for them, um, and then he, it gets personal in the fact that he pinpoints and targets the believers. So he establishes the, the reign and rule of Christ as creator and supreme God, and that that creator God has set in place a renewal of all things through our redemption, through the personal work of his son, and that that comes directly pinpointed at you. And then... 
what we're going to see this morning is that as that comes directly pinpointed at us, that there's a process and a road with which the Lord leads us to walk down that's going to bring about Christian maturation in our lives and bring about Christ-likeness in us. Okay, so let's check it out. Paul begins verse 24 with the word now. Um, Fairly important because it's not just a transitional word, but it's bearing the weight that Paul, Paul's realizing here, and he's establishing here, that before I can really show you the picture of what the road of Christianity looks like, you have to fully understand that God is the God of our faith and the creator of all things. And where that fails to be understood, we can't properly understand the road to Christianity and what it looks like to walk out our Christian faith. And so he says, now, now that I've established that, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Um, Okay, now let's stop a second because kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if this is like a, um, you know, theological argument for, um, you know, self-inflicted pain or, you know, um, the whole cultural, like, you know, dressing in black and cutting yourself and just kind of dwelling in this dark reality. Like, I just love pain, like a theology of emos um, or something like that. Um, but, but Paul, like, he says, you know, I rejoice in my suffering. Okay, so is he like sadistic? Is he this masochist that's just like, I delight in pain. Like, give me pain. Because I, on some level, that's, that's what it seems to, to talk about. It's, it's kind, of, kind of crazy. Um, so several years ago, uh, a good buddy of mine um, and a kid that I discipled took his own life. And I've shared a little bit about that with you guys. And it was just this really dark time for, for myself, for the family. And what was, what was crazy about it was, so I spent a ton of time with the family and they asked me to come to their house on several occasions and just open up the scriptures with them and try to bring hope in the midst of just the dark, the darkest of dark times for them. And um, on the one-year anniversary of Brandon's death, the family asked me to come to their house and do a devotional for all the friends and family, and their house is just packed. And, and for some reason, the Lord led me to this text. And I sat before... I don't know how many people, the friends and family, and I unpacked what we're unpacking today. And what I set out to do was, uh, was I, I said, my prayer is that in this deep loss, you might on some level be able to see Brandon's death as a blessing. Now, as hard as it is for me to even conceive of that in my own heart and in my own mind, and that I would say, yes, I'm glad this took place. Um, in the same light, the friends and family, many of them are like, I, I just, just, I'm just not there. <laughs> right? And I'm like, I get it. I get the fact that you're just not there. Um, and, and I just expressed my prayer and what I thought, what I think is Paul's prayer for us to begin to see on some level that, that some of the things that happen in life can be a blessing because we live in this reality of the kingdom of God. Okay, let me explain this, this picture. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually put this up on the screen. 
so you can see it, um, and we can work through it together. Um, when, when, the, when the fall of man happened in Genesis chapter 3, um, it, it brought us into this, um, the beginning of, of darkness, essentially. Okay? And, and the, the presence of evil and an, an age of evil. Okay, that's, it has, it's not like it just started. It's, it's always been, right? Okay? Um, and so when Christ came to the earth and he died on the cross and he rose again, okay, he brought restoration to a broken, painful, suffering world. Okay, um, Galatians puts it this way, that Christ came he gave himself for our sin to deliver us from the present evil age. That's what we see with that, that first marker there on the left, the, the death of Christ. But we live in this like, okay, Christ died to bring redemption, but yet it's not like it's fully here yet. So we live in this like already but not yet reality of, of the, the painful woes of the new kingdom coming to bear on on us. Um, and so, so Paul is kind of thinking and living in this perspective where, like Romans 8.22 says, that the, the creation groans with a longing for God, for, for the return of God. And so when Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering, what he's saying is that I, I come to recognize that I live in this already not yet reality of the kingdom, that even as I suffer, what's happening is I'm ushering in the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. So that's why he can have this mindset of, of joy, but, but it even goes a step further than that. When he says this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So Paul's struggle is very other-centered. So he's like, I'm experiencing trouble in my life. And part of the reason why I rejoice in that is because of how it impacts you and how it affects you. But what we're going to see real quickly is that part of the struggle and the pain that he's experiencing is actually him taking pain from his fellow believers, from his fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, to try to alleviate their pain and their struggle. Okay? Why did Christ die? Okay, to glorify his Father, but so that we wouldn't have to, right? He took our place. He took our punishment for us, okay? This is what Paul's modeling. This is what Paul's embodying in the fact that he's living out this other-centered focus, even in his own struggle to, to remove the pain from others and bear it himself in a community reality, just like Jesus did. Now, before we continue to unpack that, I want you to see what's going to happen next, because Paul begins to sound very heretical here. Um, like this could cause some problems theologically when he says this. Um, it, so I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Okay now it sounds to me like Paul just said that there's some insufficiency in the work of Christ and that through Paul's brilliance he's able to alleviate that insufficiency like christ's work on the cross was lacking and i am able through my flesh to complete what was lacking 
You hear that? Or just me? Okay, you're like, you're totally setting this up. You've been studying this all week. Okay, let me explain to you what's going on here. Because obviously, as we sit here, we know that Paul is not saying, okay, that Christ's work on Calvary actually was missing something. Okay, there's nothing insufficient in the work of Christ in that we as his people need to add something to it to make it sufficient, right? But Paul here is trying to articulate the fact that the suffering of Christ is applicable to his own life. Okay, and that in and through his life of struggle and of pain, what he's doing is he's actually Allowing the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the restoration of all things to bear weight and to be a tangible presence of what took place 2,000 years ago. So that through Christ, now as a minister of the gospel and as one who bears the pains of the Messiah, as he lives out a road of suffering, what he's doing is he's bringing to light the suffering of Jesus For the present. So that's what Paul's talking about. It's really this practical outworking of the the suffering that that was experienced. Bringing the suffering to bear on the already but not yet. But when Paul says suffering, okay, it's a holistic picture of suffering. So when you hear suffering, like what comes in your mind? Shoot it out. Pain? Can you give me some like examples? Cancer. Probably one of the first ones. What else? More than just that. Torture. (laughs) Okay, what else? Losing someone close. Death. Okay. Okay, what? Orphans. Okay, it includes all of those things. It includes also the the presence of temptation and just the struggle to walk the road of Christianity. Okay, it it could also include um, suffering for for speaking the name of Jesus. Okay, like this boy in another state that was actually told by his teacher that he had to remove this paper because of his theology of who God is and that that paper couldn't be on the campus. Okay, that's suffering for the name of Christ. Okay, so it, it includes all of these things. So it's a holistic picture of suffering that Paul is painting. Now, one commentator that I read said this, that on any, if, if on any level there's a foreign reality to the suffering that's being described here, like we can't really relate to it or we think maybe it's old school or whatever, it's not that there's some cultural barrier that's present, but that we as the church have really failed to grasp the fact that we are the body of a crucified Messiah. That we're a people, that our God is one who suffered and died and beckons us to come and follow him? Now, one of the things that saturates this text a ton is the calling on us as Christians to carry the suffering of others. To carry the burdens, to carry the struggle, to carry, carry the pain, whichever one of those that was shouted out. Okay, whether it's a battle with just intense sin and temptation, whether it's walking with Rocky and Cheryl through the struggle of his dad and cancer, or John's family, 
whatever. All of these things is, the, is the, the struggle of, okay, we're called as the people of God to carry the struggles together with one another. And that's what Paul was doing. This is what Jesus did. And I believe this can be a very key indicator of who we are as a church and to what extent we understand our maturity as a church. Okay, let me give you some examples of this. So what would it look like for you to actually engage in someone's suffering? Okay, um, it's kind of an awkward thing, right? Um, it's like going to a funeral, and like on some level, you, you don't even like want to walk up to the person, at, possibly because you don't even know what to say. Like it's just awkward, you know there's deep pain, especially if it's like some long-lost aunt that you've never really known and your parents take you. And I just remember that growing up, it was just real awkward. I was like, I don't know anybody here. Okay, but our tendency is in the midst of suffering like that, we can be paralyzed by it because we don't know how to engage it. Um, I remember my dad broke his neck. Several and several of you, people just coming to the waiting room in the hospital. My dad was in ICU. And, and people didn't come with like these massive words of hopeful, hopefulness for my dad. Although at times that's absolutely appropriate. They just came, just sat for hours, and we just talked and hung out and shared concerns and burdens and even shed tears. That's, that's how you engage in someone's pain, is you be with them. You sit with them, and you don't feel like you have to have the words of hopefulness. You have to be able to conjure up you know, the right words and make sure you don't say these words, and you just be with them. You sit with them, cry with them. Maybe it's a person walking through a dark relationship and they're trying to figure it out and navigate it. You know what? On, on some level, there's going to be things and people in your life that God calls you to engage with that you have no expertise to really engage them in. But you have Jesus. And that's all you need. That's the hope that they have. And what you do as a Christian that's growing and walking with Jesus is you embody Jesus. embody him and how you act in your presence being there and if God leads you and how you speak to one another look at verse 25 for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known now there's a common misconception that in the fact that a minister is a pastor, um, someone that's ordained, someone that leads from the front of a church. Listen, every single Christian, if you're a Christian, you're brought into the reality that you're a minister of the gospel. Every one of you has absolutely just as much authority to speak the name of Jesus, to speak to Jesus as I do. The same. So when Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, what, is he, what he's saying is that part of my job as a Christian is to steward pain. And that part of my ministry is in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, I steward that in such a way that the kingdom of God can be brought to bear on the already but not yet. 
Do you see that? Okay, then, then in the midst of those situations, you know what they really are? They're a call to worship. Right? And that's why I said to the friends and family of my buddy Brandon, like, I pray that one day we might say this is a blessing. Why? Because this sets us up to know God. Doesn't make it easy, right? Doesn't make it easy at all. Still makes it tough because, it's, because we doubt and we don't trust God like we should, like he calls us to. We don't believe that he's, you know, I need you every hour I need you. We don't believe that. I don't believe that. So many of our problems would be <laughs> helped if we came to grips with that reality. I need you. Why? Because apart from him, we begin to govern and try to manage our sin and manage our pain with hopelessness as opposed to finding our hope in him. But I want you to notice something here as Paul continues. He says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So it talks about this mystery. Okay, I, I love mystery stuff. I love like mystery shows. Um, like the game Clue. You guys ever play that game? Isn't that awesome? They have an app for that? I'll check that out later. But like, like, like the, the mystery of, of life, just the, the unknown reality. When it's talking about the, the mystery here, it's talking about the means by which God would bring about restoration and redemption from the fall in Genesis 3. Okay? And so even though there was all this prophetic speaking of it, it was still a mystery. But what's crazy is the mystery that's being talked about, God's secret plan, isn't found in some strategy. That's why when you, when you engage people in their struggle, when you come alongside your kids, or someone else's kids, and they're just, they've just lost it. Like, you know what I want to do? Like, my son's, like, on the ground. Like, I just want to tell him, like, listen, dude, like, you're making a fool of yourself. And listen, let me, let me unpack as to why you really shouldn't be acting this way because you have so many toys and there's kids all over the world that really don't have any toys and you're upset that this toy won't work with this toy or this one's out of batteries and like there's other kids that don't even know what batteries are, right? Like, so I'm trying to like reason with a three-year-old who's just flailing himself on the ground when the way I enter into his pain should be just to pick him up and hold him. I don't do that well. Pick him up and hold him and love him and recognize my child doesn't see fully and understand fully. Right? I mean, we look at some of the struggles, the kids, and they're just like, oh, they have no idea. Like they're worried, you're worried about that? Or you just wait. Like, and, and the heavenly father, our heavenly father is like, you're worried about that. Listen to me. And what does he do? He doesn't send some massive strategy. 
He sends his son. Look at what it says. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the riches? What's the wealth? What's the beauty in this mystery? The strategy. Listen to how I'm going to unfold this strategy. Now, many would say that Jesus, that God's strategies were kind of silly. Like, really, Gideon, take your army and get some candles and, and get some broken glass and run at them and scream. And they will turn on themselves and kill each other. And boom, it works. Let's try that over in Afghanistan. Strategic? No, God loves bad odds. So notice here, God... God isn't bringing some unbelievable strategy, but what is he doing? He's saying, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. It's relationship. It's the person engaging us in our brokenness and the calling on us as God's people to engage each other in our brokenness and in our struggle. One theologian named N.T. Wright says this, the vocation of the church is to suffer. That's our job. But not just to suffer for suffering's sake, but to actually journey in faith together and walk a road that's guaranteed to see God present. Because what do we want to do? We want to rid our lives from anything uncomfortable. So I'm having this battle with the Lord because like, so the Lord's called us to become foster parents. And part of me is like, God, you're crazy. Like, I, I can't even manage my own kids on some level. And so like, like, like literally, like, I don't know how we're going to do it. Like, I don't. But all I know is that it's what God's called us to. To engage in the pain of whatever kids he brings us. Just so you know, you're going to help us. <laughs> so thanks for being a part of this family. <laughs> Who knows what it's going to look like. But I, I just, it, God's calling baffles me. And all that I know is that I have a tendency to want to remove anything that really requires me to have faith. Anything that really wants, will, will bring about any sense of maturity in my life. Because I know what it looks like for me, to, who I need to be. I know what it looks like for me to mature and, and the, what a mature Christian looks like. And, and on many levels, God's just like, you don't have a clue. Which is why I want to position your life in such a way that you're in a heap of trouble unless you run to me. And we've become way too good at setting up our lives to be comfortable and easy and really not require us to really trust the Lord. To really trust Him. Because we've forgotten that we serve a crucified Messiah, that we are the body of a crucified Messiah. Because Christ says in verse 22 that his hope for us and his purpose for us is to present us to God holy and without blemish. Like we love, like 
we won't say we love our blemishes. We'll probably say we hate them. But yet, like, we have what we tolerate on many levels. And I'm the worst at that. Like, I'm a very tolerant person. And so, like, I'll just kind of, you know, it's okay. Like, we'll be okay. And, like, we have what we tolerate. And, and here, Paul's bringing us this reality that maturity in Christ really was was the work that God intended through the person of Christ that we would grow up to look like Jesus. And Paul even, even modeled that and took on the same vision of Jesus. Look at verse 28. For him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What's Paul's aim? To bring about mature Christians. So Paul aligns his work with the work of God. Because this is God's work, this is my work. That's what it means to have the identity of Christ. To follow Christ. To to do what your master does. To have your life look like what his looks like. And that very work is the work of Christian maturity. And what does it say? It happens through proclamation. Him we proclaim. What is that talking about? It's talking about the need to establish the lordship of Jesus Christ in the lives of the immature. Because you're like, okay, who's immature? Let's see. Thinking about some immature people. Okay, listen. We're all immature on some level and in some area. And Christ longs to mature us in the faith that happens through the establishment of his lordship in our life through proclamation. Now, now check this out. It says, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Okay, so Paul brings out this idea of, of admonishing, okay, which really is, it's, it's correcting faulty thinking. Okay, so it's like you have because because you could let me let me use Paul's story as an example. Why did he start with establishing the sufficiency of Jesus as the creator? Cuz listen, unless we come to grips with the fact that God is in control, are we really going to engage in hard times? No, we're going to run from them. Like why would why in the world would we do that? But Paul is saying, okay, I'm admonishing you in the fact that God is the the creator and sustainer of all things. And you need to trust him and run to him and trust his path for your life. What is he doing? He's admonishing. And he's taking the, the disconnected wires in our brain and he's connecting them so that when he then comes and says, your call is to suffer together and walk the road of struggle together... can make sense because it's like oh god god's in control so i should trust him he created me so i should trust him that's what paul's talking about when he says to admonish to warn because i could you could teach all day long positive truth but if it lands on faulty worldview and you don't actually deconstruct faulty thinking we just justify it right just justify 
the thinking and the truth, and we make it what we want as opposed to it actually being what God intended. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then I love the Apostle Paul introducing us to a theology of struggle when he says this, for this I toil. And when I think of toil, I think of like someone out like in, in, at the farm and just like working, like there's a, I think there's gardens all along like 170 up on the right, like or when you're traveling, when you're heading north up on the right of 170, and all the time you see people, and you can hardly see them because they're kind of so far away, but you just see them like in the garden, like every time I pass by, they're in there working, they're toiling. That's the image that comes into my mind. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Here's what's crazy. Paul brings us, brings to bear the human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. Because the danger is to be like, for this I toil, like struggling, like I'm going to do this, like I'm going to work hard for Jesus, I'm going to work hard in this church, I'm going to engage people's pain as hard as I can. That's human responsibility. But it says struggling with all his energy. Wait, no, God's sovereign. It's not based on what I do, it's based on what he does. So does that give us permission to kind of disengage and God's grace will filter into the lazy parts of our life? No. For this I toil. I have a responsibility. Struggling with all his energy, God's sovereignty, they come together. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is convinced that the road of Christianity that God calls us to is a tough road that requires a lot of work. But it's energized by a resurrected king who when we trust him, when we run to him, when we let his plan actually bear weight on our Monday through Saturday? It'll bear weight on Sunday, right? We'll come and stand and raise our hands and give and praise Jesus. He's worthy. But actually let it bear weight on how we walk and breathe and engage in relationships and engage in the pain of our kids and of our friends and of our spouse of our neighbors. That's what Paul's all about. And that's what we're called to be all about. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you trust him? I mean, that's, that's the response for us this morning. Is do you trust him because to the extent we don't trust him we run from suffering we run from engaging in the suffering of others because we might not know how to handle it
I don't think that something like a community garden would have been created if that was in the thinking. I just don't know that we know how to handle all of this. There's been lots of times that Megan's been like, I, I don't know, really know what to do, but you know what? God, God's shown her. Like, we're engaged in some conversation around here with some people that want to help bring sexual healing and redemption to brokenness in North County. And some of the conversations have been, like, how do we engage person acts? We don't have to have some grand strategy. We're just going to be faithful to walk out what God's called us to walk out. We're going to trust him that in our, in our mission, in our calling to engage the road of suffering, the suffering of others, we'll find that we'll grow in him and we'll bring others along the road as well. And in the end, God will get the glory. And by his grace, we'll look a little bit more like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We need you. You are so wise and so sufficient. Yet we battle you all day, every day. We fight the work of Christian maturity in our lives. We're unwilling to engage in the pain and struggle of others because we don't trust you. God, I pray this morning that you would convince us that you're real and your word is true. And where we've been lazy about our maturity in you, Wake us up. Where we've been lukewarm and indifferent, would you awaken us to your calling, to your brilliance, and that we would find that in our weakness, you are strong and sufficient. And would you lead us to, to labor and toil and struggle with all of your energy that you so powerfully work within us. Forgive us this morning for not willingly receiving the power that you want to give us to live out the maturing Christian life. And would you lead us to respond? In Christ's name, amen.